This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Shirley Bloomfield, Chief Executive Officer of NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta and their well-being portal. Syngenta believes we're all stronger together. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NTCA Shirley Bloomfield next. During this unprecedented time, Syngenta offers resources to protect more than crops. Syngenta's well-being portal connects people with ways to stay healthy and active, manage stress, and enjoy more of life. To access the portal, click the link in AgriPulse. Syngenta believes we're all stronger together. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Rural broadband service has received much discussion and funding, and yet service for many Americans still lags. Shirley Bloomfield, CEO of NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association, says the rural divide of coverage has become painfully obvious during the COVID pandemic. Bloomfield says they correctly anticipated an increase in bandwidth during the COVID crisis. The statistics vary, but some of the surveying that we've done with our member companies have shown about a 30% increase in terms of bandwidth demands. The interesting thing about it has been you always get the peaks when you're providing broadband, and so you're always able to track. Typically, the peaks had been after work. You know, people are done with dinner, they're streaming, they're gaming. You know, we find that residential demand uh, increased at that time. What we're seeing now is that increased demand for bandwidth stretches out over a longer period of time because, again, people are getting online at 8 o'clock in the morning from the residential service and continuing on, you know, through the course of the day. So we're seeing some shifts, but the good news has been that we've seen the network to be incredibly resilient, and we have seen no issues where our, our member companies have not been able to keep up with the demand, which is great news in terms of the networks that have been built. So how has the pandemic exposed the weakness of the rural broadband system, either in its bandwidth or in its service to the populace? So I think that the exposure that we have seen is the continuing uh, rural, rural divide that we have out there. I think that it has simply shed a spotlight on the fact that you've got portions of the country um, I think rural America, obviously there's portions in urban America, but where you've got providers where if those communities aren't their top priority and those networks have not been built to adequate speeds or bandwidth um, or using the right technology, those communities um, really, you know, suffered right away out of the box with the pandemic because the ability to do so many of the things that we that we take for granted, people don't have that advantage. So I think what we've seen is the difference between those who are investing and committed to those communities and those who basically have kind of thought they could kick the can down the road and suddenly the can kind of came to a stop. So I, I think that disparity between Americans has become sharper than we've ever seen in, in time before. This is a loaded question, but does the pandemic help to verify that broadband is an essential service? Absolutely. I think that what it has done, it has shown policymakers that for all of the years that we have been talking about how important it is to get everybody online and how important it is 
to ensure that people have the right speeds and to ensure that when you build a network and the government's going to support that build, that you do it right the first time. So there's a very small part of me that secretly wants to say, we've been telling you this, we've been telling you this for a decade. I would like to suggest that there are some subject areas that have raised the significance or the importance and reasons why everyone needs broadband. Top of the list, medical, education, work, a social aspect, and yes, even an an entertainment aspect. So how are these elements now leverage points to heighten the effort to make sure that at least a minimum standard is available for all Americans? The one underlying thing that I think folks need to keep in mind is that to provide any of those, you need the underlying network. So we can talk about how do we connect, you know, your ability to connect um, to your local healthcare clinic using your laptop or your iPad. But if we don't bother to build those high-speed, high-capacity networks first, whatever you're trying to do over them, has no highway to travel on. So so it is one of those things that I sometimes think of it as a layered approach. You've got to build that network. You've got to get that infrastructure in the ground. And then you think about what rides on top of that. What are the applications that we find to be terribly useful? And, you know, you started off with medical. The ability for people right now to not have to go to a local healthcare clinic when they've got an eye infection or they've got a strep throat, the ability to do this diagnostic work, you know, again, it's, you know, somebody once said you never want to, you know, have a crisis go to waste. If, if we don't take this opportunity to basically say these are things that we need as a society, how do we build upon them now? How do we take advantage of this now? You know, I think there's going to be a lot of school kids that may not be back in the classroom in, in the fall, and I think we've got to be ready for it. And there's a part of me that says it's not a lot of time, but we potentially have three, four months, we better use that, you know, let's use that time well. How has this pandemic heightened a change that was already taking place? And what won't change after we find whatever this new normal is? I think we're all going to be struggling with that. But I think that one thing is we as Americans crave um, community and connectivity and connections and you know, I think we thought we needed to be in person to achieve all of those. Um, I still have a little preference. I do derive a lot of energy from working directly with people. But I think what we have found is we have immense capacity as, as, as a country to pivot, to adapt. Um, and so I look at the workplace and I thought, who knew I'd be on, you know, five WebEx meetings a day or be able to do virtual conferences with 300 people or still take an FCC commissioner and have 400, 500 of my members hear their message and our dialogue, um, you know, just simply logging in at their desk or at their kitchen table. So I, I think in some ways I hope we've embraced technology even more um, quickly than we might have without kind of this push. That, however, will continue to lead to Americans will crave more and more bandwidth. Once once you get a taste of the sense of, I don't really need to drive 20 miles today to go to the office. We can conduct this remotely, or I don't need to go to the healthcare clinic. I can, I can do telemedicine with my doctor, or I haven't been able to see my father in a lockdown senior center. 
I think we're going to crave it. And I think we're going to have expectations that are higher than they've ever been for the ability to access all of those things that you mentioned, Jeff. So this is a situation where dollars and cents come together. 35% of the landmass you suggest that, that your members serve, only 5% of the population, and a minuscule amount of people per square mile that are out here on the last mile of service. So rewinding back to the days of the rural electric cooperative, some of the fiscal challenges were that poles had to go up the side of the mountain and wires had to run through trees and through uh, incredible terrain. Can wireless resolve this fiscal challenge, or does there have to be fibers and wireless together uh, to, to make this function? That is the beauty of a wired network. Wireless actually needs wires. So even though we look at what the promise of wireless can bring, even the wireless that runs to your home has a wired infrastructure underneath it. And as we talk about technology, the more future-proof that technology is, for example, fiber optics as opposed to copper plant, will allow you to continue to expand, I won't say infinitesimally, but certainly significantly in terms of, of bandwidth and speeds. So that is one thing. Even your basic cell service today requires a, a wired infrastructure underneath it, carrying those signals from tower to tower. 5G will be no different except for the fact that the towers need to be significantly closer together, which is why in some rural areas, it's actually going to be cheaper and more efficient simply to bring fiber to the home, fiber to the node, than it's going to be to actually put up a couple of antennas to reach down a rural driveway. Um, but that being said, you know, there, there are a lot of physical challenges in rural America. You, you've got folks that live in very sparsely populated areas, as you noted. And, you know, the cost of that infrastructure does not decrease. It's just that you've got a lot fewer people who are carrying that cost. And that is why some of these federal programs have been so very important to ensure that rural Americans, um, you know, have the same access and, and comparable and affordable service that those in, like myself, in Arlington, Virginia have. That is kind of a code that Congress agreed to in the 96 Telecommunications Act. So broadband is high on the list of a lot of folks in the legislature. It's mentioned alongside with trade and immigration and infrastructure and, and so many different uh, areas. So does there need to be a lead agency? And are the roadblocks money or regulation or technology or research what what are the what are the elements that are blocking this this building of the highway that leads to a new normal for America? So it's a fascinating question, Jeff, and it and it's kind of complicated, right? Because you've got the FCC, who is an independent agency, who you know really has administered very important programs like the Universal Service Program. They take the lead in really important initiatives like. Um, looking at different regulatory issues, how do you take down some of those barriers? Universal service is a program that ensures that whether it's telephone or broadband, that it is affordable. So it is something, it is a cost recovery program. But then you have USDA, which is a, um, 
it, it's a it's it's a cabinet member position in the White House that actually runs the Rural Utility Service, which is a loan program. So that is your upfront funding if you're a community-based provider or somebody going in um, into these rural communities. That is your lender. Um, so those two agencies, it's really important that they work in tandem. Now, because FCC is independent, you know, my, my, my gut is um, it would be nice to see coordinated federal policy, and that is something that in years gone by, we've seen either the National Economic Council kind of take the lead on, or we've seen NTIA, which is technically the, the administration's arm on telecommunications policy taking the lead. That has not so much been the case these last few years. So it's been very important that the FCC and USDA work well together. Thankfully, the personalities in place work very closely. They connect uh, frequently. They share notes. Um, and then the third player I would throw in that I think is really important are the states. I think we've seen about um, 28, 30 states right now creating their own broadband programs some bigger than others, but I think that third component of where do state programs fit in, those are the people on the ground who actually know even more intimately, where are those unserved areas? Where are those pockets of population that we need to reach? You know, what is happening in this tribal spot or what is happening in this community that's been left behind by a large carrier? So I'd like to think that all three of those entities working together which we've seen in some cases, um, can do amazing things. So then going on to your other question about, you know, some of the barriers, you know, you yeah, you do still have barriers. So for as anxious as we are to see money getting into the ground, for example, USDA is running this ReConnect program. It's a great program. Congress has put a lot of money into it in the last two years to basically do grants and loans to build broadband right now into those underserved and unserved communities. The problem is a lot of that money's been tied up. I've got folks who I went out to their groundbreaking ceremony um, to get the awards in the fall. They still have not gotten the funding, and that's because we continue to get tied up on rights of way and environmental reviews and, you know, railroad crossings and all kinds of things that continue to tie things up on the government side so the money has yet to get out the door. So we've got to think smarter about how we can help streamline those processes so when that money gets awarded and those communities get excited about getting infrastructure, we can make it happen as quickly as possible. So then that leads back to should there be a central agency or a central focus? A lot of people that are making decisions and a lot of money going in a lot of different directions, but is it toward the directive that needs to be to function a single system that can serve people? I, you know, and that is where I do think, you know, having some national overarching guidance would be very beneficial. And, um, again, somebody to at least pool everybody together. Years ago, one of the things that um, the White House had done is they created a rural task force. And it was essentially tasked with looking at, you know, getting all of the different agency leaders together around the table. What a great initiative. You, know, you had the Secretary of Agriculture, you had the Chairman of the FCC, you had uh, Economic Councils, you had, you had all of the agencies that were really important. Even folks like Department of Transportation, who has a role to play. Education, who's, again, to your point, thinking about the future use of these networks. The problem was it kind of um, was it, it was a little bit of a showpiece and then kind of went by the wayside, but I think re-engaging that initiative where you are getting these key leaders, not just once or twice a year for a photo op, 
but on a regular basis, um, and certainly their teams on a on a weekly basis, talking about Congress just passed the stimulus. How does this fit in with the existing programs? And working through that from a coordinated perspective would be very helpful. So, Shirley, what happens if we don't get this right? If we don't get this right, we are going to continue to have two Americas. We're going to have those who are able to pivot in this new economy because, to your earlier point, we're not going to go back to completely the way we've been. Um, I think we are at a crossroads, and I think that we have an opportunity. I look at this, for example, and I think, what an amazing opportunity for rural America right now. This is a time for rural America, but you need the infrastructure. Who's going to find that an attractive alternative if we can't do all of the things that we've just been discussing? If you can't do the medical needs and you can't do the educational connectivity and and you're cut off from entertainment and social opportunities and you can't work from home, you're going to have a part of the population that is really going to miss out on what I think could be a rural resurgence, um, a rural renaissance of sorts. When President Trump was talking about an infrastructure package several months ago, it was going to be public and private funds together. How can this be or how should this be a combination of public and private funds that helps to accomplish the goal? So so you're seeing some of that already. So I referenced earlier the USDA Reconnect program. That actually, unless you're getting a grant, um, and even when you're getting a grant, you put skin in the game. So the carriers are putting skin in the game. Um, I think that always tends to be a really powerful combination because because you are not just throwing money at a problem. You are creating a true partnership. And what we see then is USDA has incentive, for example, um, to see if they said 2,500 people are going to get coverage, they, they are incentivized to see that happen. And because the private carrier has to commit their own funds up front as well, they can't just throw up their hands and say, oh, that, that was harder than we thought. Or, you know what, we couldn't reach quite as many people as we thought. They've got skin in the game. And I think those kinds of programs, um, while grants are certainly super exciting, um, I think the, the ability to kind of weave those partnerships is really powerful. So, so hopefully we'll see some opportunities. I, you know, I think obviously all the stimulus from the pandemic has, has focused on more immediate needs. Like who can't afford to pay their bills right now? Who can't afford to buy that connectivity so they can look for a job or so they can make sure that they stay socially connected and, and don't slip into depression? A lot of different things. So, so I think there's some short-term needs, but then I'm really hoping we can pivot and think long-term and be strategic and not basically put this on a table again and wait until the next crisis where we go, oh, that's right. Broadband and connectivity was really important. Now I remember. Now let's get to work. The time to start moving on that is right now. I drew a summary from your testimony, uh, some objectives that if people are not connected, we need them connected, that if they are connected, they need to stay connected, and then (laughs) an infrastructure that is of adequate size. There are a lot of ways that we can advance in a wrong direction but only a few ways that will lead us to a point to have useful service. Absolutely. And I am such a big fan of um, you've got this opportunity. Let's do it right. Let's do it right out of the box. And that has been, I think, the thing that has delighted me 
about what we've seen in terms of our network capacities because so many of our companies have a fiber infrastructure. That fiber is a future-proof technology. That's the eight-lane highway. So if you're going to build it, you're going to put funding in place, do it right. Put it to that future-proof technology where you know it's proven, you've seen it tested at its finest hour, um, and you're not making a guessing game and you're not relegating people to second-class service and coming back three or four years later to do the upgrades. It's cheaper to do it right the first time. And, you know, and honestly, you know, while I think there's a lot of parts of the country that, you know, we need to get some help to and maybe it's a Band-Aid in, in the meantime because there's no other way to reach them right away and, and knowing that fiber builds are coming, but even with some of those uh, wireless capacities, what you've seen is with the huge growth in traffic, they simply cannot keep up. They they cannot, you know, it's it's a classic case of spectrum is only so limited. So the problem is it's okay if you've got 10 people on it, but if you suddenly have 80 people on it, all doing things that require high capacity, you're all slowed down to a, to a low common denominator. So I'm a huge fan of, of just doing it right and building for the future. Shirley Bloomfield, we realize that this uh, discussion of rural broadband is an ocean, and certainly there is so much to discuss, and certainly as well, so much at stake. We want to thank you very much for taking time from your schedule and this fight to talk to us about this important topic here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you've been here before. You get the last word today. I just appreciate the focus that you've had on continuing to see how we can work together to build a vibrant rural America. And I remain incredibly hopeful that, again, if there's one silver lining of what our nation is going through at this point in time, it is recognizing how important it is for all of us to stay connected. Our thanks to NTCA Shirley Bloomfield, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta and their well-being portal. We're all stronger together. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.